0: Yeah, so uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Godly Patterns for Ordinary People. Godly Patterns for Ordinary People. So here's the thing, you know, you have God, and we think of God in these terms of He's just, He's so great, and He's so holy, and He's so powerful, and all of these things, and he's He's kind of untouchable in many ways for us when we do that. And then we think of ourselves, and we're just, well, we're just kind of ordinary people. Well, how do we begin to live in a more godly fashion, in a fashion that the relationship that we we profess to have with God actually starts to transform our lives and actually starts to change things in our lives? Is there a way to do that? Is there a way to actually develop patterns in your life where you say, wow, I'm becoming more and more godly. I'm becoming less and less worldly and more and more godly in the way that i think in the way that i talk in the way that i live in the way that uh, that i all of the activities that i do i'm starting to change can that really happen is there a way to do that a pattern is a behavior that you repeat um, and you know, people get into habits all the time how many of you have good habits how many of you have bad habits Okay, I have a lot of bad ones. I have some good ones, but right? So I raise both hands with you. Uh, but a habit is just a, it's just a repeated behavior. And you know you can learn things and change things if you repeat the behavior, it turns into a pattern. Um, so today we're going to talk about the first part of this series uh, about time. Making God's time your time. By the way, uh, we had a free book giveaway on Christmas Eve, and we still have some of those books left out in the foyer if you want them. As some of the material in this, in this series is drawn a little bit from that book. It's a very, very good book, by the way, uh, which talks about this kind of thing. Uh, so you can pick one up on your way out. We're going to talk about time here as we start the first weekend of 2017. Um, some observations. Mm. Time passes, yes? You you, you should acknowledge this. This is a reality. Uh, Time passes. And because time passes, uh, this must mean that there was a beginning to it. Because if time had no beginning, well, we wouldn't be able to pass through it, right? There'd be no beginning, no middle, no end. But there appears to be, uh, you know, it passes. And this would strongly mean that it had a beginning, if it had a beginning, then it was, it was something started it, something created time. Uh, we believe that that something is God himself, but we, we, we pass through time. And the amazing thing about time, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, uh, no matter how much money you have, no matter where you live on the planet, it doesn't matter who you are, the rate that time passes is the same for every person the rate at which it passes so you know each person gets a certain amount of time during the day uh, you, and and you have to you have to allot it a certain way but the rate at which it passes doesn't change it's the same for everybody it doesn't change the rate that it passes is the same for every person no matter how we measure it you can measure it with a sundial you can measure it with your smartphone you can measure it with an atomic clock You can invent a way. You can call it seconds or hours or days or years. You can measure it by a Mayan year. You can measure it by a Hebrew year. You can measure it by a Roman year. But the rate at which it passes is exactly the same for every person on the face of the earth. Once time passes, you can never get it back. Never. If you lose money you can probably get it back. You can find a way to make back the money. There's a way. But when you lose time, you can never recapture it because none of us, as much as we would love that to happen, none of us can go back in time. How many of you wish that that existed, that you could actually go back and switch something, change something? Of course. And we we, we love the stories of time travel and the movies of time travel and all these things. We flock to them because we know that we can never get it back once it passes. Even as we're here this morning, it's passing by us. It's passing right by us all at the same rate. We can never, ever get it back. I've been listening to the way that we greet one another in the culture when it's a new year. And what do we say? We say, Happy New Year. You know, we say health and prosperity and all these things. And if we're Christian, we say, well, may God bless you. And we throw God in there. We say, may God bless your year. May he give you, you know, da, 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 da. And and we, 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 we play that kind of game with it. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of uh, things that people say, they, they put health at the front. They say, above all things, may God give you health this year. You know, if you're Christian, okay, may God give you health. Or if you're not, may you have health this year. Because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. When you think about that, and you think about time, perhaps we should change the way that we say Happy New Year. Perhaps we should say, may you use the time that God gives you in 2017. May you use it well. Because you can be very, very healthy one day, and then the next day, you're out of time. The time and health are not always friends. Uh, I I have had the unusual occasion of doing many, many, many funerals. For a relatively young pastor, I have done scores and scores of them. And I have literally uh, talked with a person on one day of the week and then been at their funeral service another day of the same week. The, The line between life and death is a very faint line. And you never really know When your time is gone. You don't. So it's not only health. You know, health isn't the number one thing. Because a person can be very, very healthy one day. And then the next day, it's all gone. Immediately gone. Am am I depressing you in the beginning of 2017? I don't intend to do that. Uh, But that's the reality. None of us have a guarantee. Guarantee. I I don't even have a guarantee. None of us have a guarantee that 2018 is going to come to us. We don't have that ultimate guarantee, whether we be people of faith or people of no faith. We do not have that guarantee. And when we start to think about time this way, we begin to understand how valuable it is because first point today god's time is eternal but our time here at least is very very finite it has a it has a beginning and it has an end at least here uh, perhaps you know the passage from the new testament from second peter chapter 3 and verse 8 peter was a. Uh, was one of the close, close friends, if you will, of Jesus. And he says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the, day, or with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. You know this passage? A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous joke about the economist who has a conversation with God. And he's trying to learn about the nature of God. And he says to God, God, is it true uh, that for you a minute is like a hundred years? Is that true, God? And God says, yes, it's true. A minute for me is like a hundred years and a hundred years are like a minute. And he says, he's an economist. So he says to God, well, what about a million dollars? What's a million dollars like to you, God? And God says, well, a million dollars to me are like a penny. And the economist says, well, can you give me a penny? And God says, wait a minute. It's coming, right? <laughs> okay. This passage is a, is, a, is a paraphrase, a quote almost, uh, from something that Moses prayed that's recorded for us in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 90. And Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Uh, before the mountains were born. Or brought forth, uh, uh, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity, you are God. This is mind-boggling when you think about time a god is eternal he has no beginning he has no middle he has no end he is not linear he doesn't operate the way that we do he's he's everywhere all the time all the time everywhere Uh, he he's not like us Uh, his time the way he looks at time is with the backdrop of eternity from everlasting to everlasting you are god you turn people, sorry to depress you, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. It's an amazing contrast when you you think about time. Our time is finite. It has a beginning, we're born and we get to a point where we leave this world and it's done and our time in this world has, the last second has gone. But this is not so with God. God is eternal. No beginning, no middle, no end. It's very sobering when we start to think about time that way. And if you read that whole psalm, say, wow, this is, this is sobering, all right. It's even a little bit depressing. When it, it speaks of the brevity of life that we have in this world against the backdrop of God, an enormous contrast. But at Christmas time, which we just celebrated, we have an amazing miracle that takes place where God enters our time, where God, who is eternal, comes into the finite, into the temporal world. And this is a, a miracle that changes everything. It changes the way that we look at everything. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what we acknowledge at communion, which we'll do at the end of the service today. At just the right time, God came into this world, into real time, into real space, the eternal intersected with the temporal. Galatians 4 and 4, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, speaking uh, of the, the seed of the woman, an old prophecy from Genesis chapter 3. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. And this is what we acknowledge at Christmas time that the eternal has come into the temporal, into the finite world, and everything changes. Now, even if you approach the Bible from a total point of disbelief, a total skeptical point of view, um, and that's not a terrible thing, at least you're approaching the Bible. But at least uh, if you do that, you're going to find a rather unusual thing. That the time and the space and the circumstances of the coming of Jesus into the world can be verified. It can be corroborated. So the places, the things, the people, the politicians, the customs, the culture, the geography, all these things can be corroborated from the pages of the Bible. So you have to come to a point where you say, well, the Bible's right about that. You know, the Bible's right about Caesar Augustus and the census that was taken. And the Bible's right about crucifixions. And the Bible's right about Pontius Pilate and all of these things. And and then we have to say, well, if it's right about those, what's it saying to us about Jesus? Is it accurate in what it says in all these miracles and all these things? And if you say, well, no, it isn't. It can't be. Those things are impossible. Those things can't happen. Let me challenge you. You only have three options there. If you approach it from a point of disbelief, you've got three options. Option number one, you're going to come to the conclusion that the story has changed. So the people who wrote it down, they got the basic facts straight, but they made up all this gibberish about Jesus. Uh, if you, if you, or that the story changed over time. So it started one way, and then over time they're copying it, and you know, then you end up with all of these miracles and all of these things. Uh, if you sustain that argument, you're going to find yourself at a loss. Because the the bibliographical evidence that we have for the Bible is outstanding. We can demonstrate empirically that the text is not changed. Uh, And if I had a couple of hours, I'd show you how. But you can demonstrate this, that the argument, well, it's all changed over the years. You can't sustain that argument. So you're going to jump to another argument. Well, you know, they lied. All these writers, they lied about this Jesus and this miraculous stuff. And all of this is a lie. They got all the background right, but they just inserted all these lies in there. And that you're going to find yourself at a loss as well. Because the people who wrote those things down, we know that they all died for it. We know that they were, some of them put to very, very cruel and and nasty punishments and persecution and imprisonment and lost their lives because of what they knew was a lie. Well, you don't see this happen. People die for what they know is true, yes? I mean, we see that nowadays, uh, even in the various religious groups and these people who go and do these terrible things in the name of religion. Well, they believe it's true. Uh, but people do not die for what they know to be false. It's a very difficult argument to sustain. And then you're going to jump to the third one, and you're going to say, well, it's an exaggeration. All these people, they were smoking too much magic mushroom back in the first century, you know, and they, they just didn't know what they're writing, and they, they're just they're foolish, their brains aren't evolved enough, and that's how we ended up with all these miracles in the New Testament. Well, if you read the New Testament, you're going to find that the people are very sober, uh, that they write about their failures, their faults. Uh, They write about things that you would not expect them to write about if they were, you know, hallucinating or any of this. These arguments are very, very hard to sustain. And you find yourself in a place where you say, well, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to believe it? Am I going to disbelieve it based on an assumption that the supernatural is not real? I would challenge you that the best option is to say, yes, the supernatural is real. And yes, God really did come into space and time in the person of Jesus where the eternal intersected this natural temporal world at just the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. And when we appreciate this and we start thinking about time, It implies that we can somehow live for the eternal in the temporary world. Because if God came into this world to be seen, to be touched, to be heard, to be smelled even, then we must find a way, there must be a way to live for him, even in this world that is finite, even though our Our lives are fading away very very quickly and we have no guarantee even as to how much time we have left I just finished watching uh, yesterday evening uh, the old 1960 movie called Ben Hur have any of you seen this film okay this in my view and I've seen almost all of them this is the most magnificent movie about the Lord Jesus made by Hollywood that has ever been made, as made in 1960, 1958, 59, 60, that period of time. I have never to this day seen a motion picture put together that illustrates this idea of God coming into the world and intersecting with history into the lives of people done this way. Never. I watched it and I was absolutely stunned once again to watch the old 1960 movie. I would challenge you to take us about three and a half hours to sit down and watch this thing. It is unbelievable how you see this point illustrated and how the lives of people are changed because God comes into those lives. It is a marvelous piece of work, a brilliant, brilliant piece of filmmaking. I would say that it's probably the best one that's ever been made. Uh, that talks about Jesus ever. And you don't even see his face in the whole movie. You never see his face, always little shades and this, but you never ever see his face. A brilliant piece of work, but it illustrates this perfectly. What can we do to learn to make God's time our time? How can we live for the eternal, even in this temporary world? The Bible gives us some advice. Back to Psalm 90, first piece of advice, number your days number your days psalm 90 if you read the whole thing and you can do that at home he says moses in verse 12 teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom teach us to number our days the reality and we said it before is uh, none of us will live forever it's all ticking backwards And many of us, we choose to avoid the the subject of our demise entirely uh, until the very, very last minute. This is not what the psalmist is advising. He's advising that you number your days. You make yourself aware that there is a number of days that you're going to have. And you don't even know in the end what it's going to be. But you better not be thinking that you're going to live forever, at least not on this earth. Uh, When you pass away, you pass into eternity, and your life continues, but what he's talking about is this life here in this world, which is what we understand and what we know for the time being. And he says in verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. You know, they say that women live longer than men, I think. Do they say that these days? I'm not sure why. Uh, Maybe men are less wise, but even back then, Moses is saying, well, you may get 70, you may get 80 if your strength endures, yet the best of them, he says, are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away, he says. My, my, not very encouraging at the beginning of 2017. Oh, can you turn that radio off wherever it is? Yeah, just spin the dial. Thank you very much, Aaron. I'm sorry I left it on. Uh, We're to number our days, he says, for they quickly pass and we fly away. To number them means simply to recognize that our days here are not infinite. They are finite. Um, To not number our days is to delude ourselves and to think that we're going to live forever. And this is very much the way the culture is going. The way that people live their lives, you think, well, are you under the delusion that you're going to live forever or something? Because the way that many people live is that way. It's it's so incredibly reckless and so incredibly thoughtless and so much for instant gratification, instant results without understanding the future and what's going to come, without understanding that our lives here are so short and so, so temporary, given that I know that time is running out, given that I know that I will never get it back. Every second that passes, I cannot get it back. I cannot... Uh, go back in time, what then will I spend my time doing? And this is where wisdom starts to come in. So God, help me to number my days that I may start to be wise with the days that I have. Help me to number them. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we planted this church because we recognize that we've only got a limited amount of time here. And, you know, my wife and I, we, we, could, have, we could have done any number of things. Uh, there were a number of churches who were, you know, talked to us and interested and blah, 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 a number of things. We could have stayed, uh, you know, in a situation where you just put things on cruise control and just do that. But, you know, there, there comes a point where you say, well, what do we really want to do for God that counts? What do we really want to do for God where we're saying we're using the time that you've given us with wisdom. And this is where the vision of this church. To reach the one who is far from God. Came into fruition. Because we want to use the time that we have. Well is it a difficult thing? Is it a risky thing to do? It's all of those things. But it is, it is using the time. To the best way that we can use it. Uh, number your days. That you may be wise. Uh, another piece of advice from the scripture. Redeem the time. Redeem the time from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 15 to 20. Paul says kind of the same thing as Moses, but in a different language. So be careful, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And then he's going to talk about kind of wise living and foolish living. So he says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He wrote this in the first century. Imagine, imagine today what he would say. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In the old King James, it says, redeeming the time. I like that, I like that phrase, because the days are evil. And then he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you're going to think about time, don't think of it like a fool Think of it with a perspective of the Lord's will. So now he talks about foolish living, at least in his time, his culture. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is an old word for kind of really loose living, immorality kind of thing. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, I mean, it may it may well apply today, you know. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. This is foolishness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is wise. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's foolish to waste your time on something like drunkenness and debauchery. You're burning your time away. You're wasting the time that's been given to you. It's better to understand what the Lord's will is, which seems to involve the one another's there, speaking to one another, implication, relationship. It seems to imply thanksgiving, uh, to God and an acknowledgement that that we give thanks to God for all things. We acknowledge Him in all things. We're aware of God's presence. This is wise. Um, but how do you do that? Well, it, it's quite simple. You, you you plan for those kinds of things and you make those kinds of things priorities. Today we have we have all the devices and all of the the tools to plan our day you know and you can go to conferences and seminars about time management and all of these things and they all they all are good and they all will generally teach the same thing well wh- why do we why do we not schedule why do we not plan for the things that make the most impact in our lives All of us, we have these thoughts of, well, I really ought to spend more time with my kids. You know, I really ought to spend more time with my friends or my spouse or my grandchildren. I really ought to pray more. I really ought to read the Bible more. I really ought to volunteer in my community more. I really ought to do the things that count. Well, plan for the things that count. Redeem the time. Uh, Block off time for the things that matter. You know, some families, they have to block off time to eat together. Just to eat together. It's so quiet. How many of you, if you have kids, you actually sit down with your kids, if they're still at home, and you eat a meal with your kids? And you actually talk with them, and there's actually a connection that happens. Well, this is a very, very significant thing. This is redeeming the time. Block off time to do the things that matter and to do the things that make a difference. If you never plan for it, you likely will never get around to doing it. This is not redeeming the time, it's letting the time pass. Uh, let me give you a few examples, okay, by way of, by way of pictures. Some cool things uh, that I saw this church get involved in over the past number of weeks at Christmas. I think they're on a timer. Go ahead and hit it there. That's, uh, we, we've been wanting to do a meeting with some of the young people in our church, some of the youth, and that's our house. And we got together with them in December. They're just goofing off and having games there. But we had six, seven kids, one of them completely non-Christian kid. And then a few days later, we went over to the mission, the food bank at Mission Nouvelle Génération, and we helped out. It was about six of us, and we had a team there that helped out in this massive event that they have for kids, many of them from needy families There's 500 kids who came through the doors, and we helped serve. We just ran a cookie station or a game station or whatever, but we made our our presence known there. Those are things that matter. Those are things that redeem the time. And then, uh, again, a couple of weeks later, they had another event at the same food bank uh, in Brossard, their annual huge Christmas food basket drive there where they give this enormous shopping cart filled with food to like 500 families. And uh, that's a picture of uh, one of our people. She's in the, in the box, you know, preparing the carrots, you know, for the, for the big day. And, and our people did this, and this is a very, very significant thing. These are the kind of moments that you need to plan for. These, this is what redeeming the time means, even if you're sitting in a pile of carrots, preparing it makes a difference for somebody else because somebody else is going to go and eat those carrots do you understand what i'm saying someone who's in need and there's there's things that are happening as a result of the connection uh, of this church and that food bank because they look at us and they say wow you're the church who brings all those volunteers you know, and they see my face every week. They see my face over there, and I'm kind of the face of the church, and I get to have conversations with people, and they learn who I am, and they learn what we do, and it's making an impact. It makes an influence because people have need, and when you meet that need and when you do something in a person's life that makes a difference, this is part of redeeming the time. This is part of of wisdom and the last piece of advice uh look for what i'll call kairos moments look for kairos moments romans chapter 5 verse 6 for you see at just the right time the word there for time there is a greek word that i'll pronounce kairos that's probably a little rough uh, but that's the word in the new testament you see that word and you see another word chronos whenever we translate it into the English time. And kronos is kind of used for the most part, just the standard day-to-day kind of time passes. This is the way the New Testament uses this word. But this kairos word has to do more with God's time, God's appointed time, something that God wants to do in a moment uh, in this world. This is a kairos moment. And this is the word that's used here. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, Paul uses the word all over the place in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. As God's co-workers, we urge you to not receive God's grace in vain. For he says, and he quotes from the Old Testament here, in the time, there's that word again, kairos, in the time of my favor, I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you God says and Paul says I tell you now is the time of God's favor now is the day of salvation it's a kairos moment are you looking for these moments in your day-to-day life it's a moment perhaps that God will drop into your lap where you have an opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's an act of kindness or compassion. Maybe it's a moment uh, where your integrity is tested in front of people and you're able to show it. These are all kairos moments, and you've got to look for them because God frequently drops them right into our laps. Some of you, you work in, in uh in the in the type of jobs where you have those things often happen because you're with people all the time you're rubbing shoulders with non-christian people all the time and many of you you work just by nature in in places where you have to be kind to people you have to show kindness and grace and mercy to people those can be kairos moments that can make a huge difference in somebody else's life but are we aware of those things are we just letting time pass by in a kind of a Kronos way? Well, you may never ever know how much you've got left and you're always losing it. Redeem that time. Live for those Kairos moments. Number your days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thus endeth the lesson on time. You're so quiet today. Well, it's time for the worship team to come back <laughs> at the end, and we're going to, to spend a few moments together acknowledging, uh, again, this great miracle of God coming into time and God coming into our time in the person of Jesus uh, and communion is all about that. We talked about this, this verse. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is what we acknowledge when we take these emblems of communion. We remind ourselves and we remember what God uh, has done for us in the person of Jesus. Uh, every once in a while, I pull this, this old, very, very old letter out uh, and read it at Communion. This is one of the earliest evidences of, uh, of Christianity and of Jesus that's ever been found. It is the earliest recorded instance of communion in the ancient world. It is an amazing uh, piece of literature, a letter from a politician, and he's asking for advice as to what to do with this pesky new group of people who call themselves Christians, And he's trying to figure out how to deal with them. Uh, And he's asking for advice and describing this group of Christians. And he says about them, they were in the habit of meeting on a certain day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. And this is from a non-Christian writer. And they bound themselves by a solemn oath not to commit any wicked deeds that's redeeming the time and never to commit any fraud or theft or adultery never to falsify their word this group of Christians nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up after which it was their custom to separate and then they would reassemble and partake of food but food of an ordinary innocent kind what do I do this politician says with these people who call themselves Christians one thing we see from that passage they knew how to redeem the time these people they knew how to live their lives with a heart of wisdom and may God grant us that uh, as we move into 2017 if you do not have any of the emblems for communion can you just slip up your hand so that we make sure that you're served today. It's a little simple cup of juice uh, that has the the bread right in there. It's all very, very simple. If you guys could give me an emblem there, because I do not have one. That would be very helpful. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, this very, very simple food, even like the even like the old, old ancient letter says. Uh, And you'll see it's just all wrapped up all in a nice, neat package. And if you pull the the top layer off there, you have a very, very simple piece of bread, a little wafer. And uh, this represents something very, very powerful. The Apostle Paul, when he's again writing to this church in uh, in Corinth, we've looked at uh, a little bit of that before, but he talks about this and he says to them, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, simple food, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This simple food is a reminder, a remembrance that Jesus came and he died for the ungodly, At just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We remember that by a simple piece of bread. And then he continues and he says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This would have been a cup of wine in the day. We have simple juice today saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood the new arrangement between God and humanity through the blood of Jesus. When you do this, when you drink it, you do so in remembrance of me. And Paul says, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim, you are the preachers, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you take the bread with me, and uh, we're all going to take it, take it together, okay? Let's do that. Let's partake together. Are you thankful for the body of Jesus that hung on that cross? Are you thankful for the body of Christ uh, of which we are a part today? That's what that bread Uh, is for the bible says without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness and that's what this juice represents it's a symbol a picture reminding us that because christ shed his blood for us we can be forgiven in the sight of god and we can have a relationship with god let's partake together Please stand with me. I want to have a word of prayer with you before the worship team uh, leads us in that song.